This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 376. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am pleased to have with me today, Matthew Marister. I am pleased to be here with you, Riley Bowman. <laughs> you gotta you gotta say it in the radio voice. <laughs> Since this is not actually radio, though, I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a face for radio, or I have a face for radio and a voice for I guess not video. I don't know. I don't right. I, I don't even know what you're saying. No, some people say, you know, you have, a, you, have a, you have a face for, for radio. You're a beautiful man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what people don't know is Matthew really is beautiful. <laughs> Mostly inside, he is a <laughs> yes. very—he's a good person, a good Christian yeah. too. So, uh, welcome to the show. Enough of that. Uh, <clears throat> this is, of course, the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode three hundred seventy-six. That means we're not far off from episode four hundred. That'll come before we know it. And uh, we've got a lot of exciting things coming because here in the next month we'll be at Shot Show, which is a happy thing because that means I get to see my main man, Matthew Marister, in person. You just like me because you can like manhandle me and pick me up and all that. <laughs> he is kind of small. It's okay. We don't hold it against him. Uh, my main man, Matthew Marister. That's a lot of M's. <laughs> and then you followed it up with manhandle. Okay, we got to get off this topic. Moving along. Today's episode is titled, Do You Know? Questions You Should Be Asking Yourself. And this is inspired by recent events here in Colorado, actually. Not too far, actually, from Jacob Paulson's house. In fact, really close to where Jacob used to live. And so there, re there was recently a shooting at a convenience store when an off-duty police officer attempted to intervene, and it didn't go so well. And according to news reports, his gun, quote, unquote, jammed. And so we're going to talk about that. Looking forward to it. But first, today's podcast... This episode is brought to you and sponsored by, first and foremost, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com is the place to buy your next 500, 1,000, or maybe even 10,000 rounds of ammo. Off in the corner there sits 10,000 rounds. I'm so excited. But Ammo Supply Warehouse is the place to get it. So head on over to AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. Guardian Nation members save even more. You get an additional 5% off when you, as a Guardian Nation member, purchase at AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. And they are genius because they have two warehouses, East Coast, West Coast. So, And they're, when, I, when they say East Coast, West Coast, they're more like East Coast, West Coast Central, meaning that... Wherever you are, you pretty much will have a warehouse that it ships from that's going to get to you much more quickly than a lot of times ammo does. In fact, I once bought some ammo from a competing company, and they only have one place to ship from, somewhere in Tennessee. And it took a couple of days to get to me. But when I buy from AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com, it ships from a much closer warehouse. And voila. So, super excited to have Ammo Supply Warehouse sponsoring this episode today. Also, today's episode is sponsored by Pig Lube. 
You can pick yours up at concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. Go do it. It's my choice of firearm lubricant. In fact, I have some. There it is. Boom. On the screen. Pig awesome lube. stuff. Yeah. And you see there's a little U on that one. Uh, I think they actually have stickers on them now, but this one was just hand-labeled, customized for Riley T. Bowman. And, uh, yeah, that goes on all my guns. I haven't used anything else in probably two, almost three years. And I love this stuff. So pick yourself up some pig lube today. Concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. Well, it's time to talk about what's going on here in good old Arvada, Colorado, a quiet, sleepy town that was awakened rudely with this recent robbery event. So, uh, Matthew, you read the news stories. Uh, mm-hmm. Give us a quick rundown. I kind of introed it, but tell us uh, what, what happened with this shooting. Yeah, so um, if you hadn't seen uh, this on the news, so off-duty police officer uh, goes to help his son uh, fill up his truck. I, I, there's not much information about what led up to him being there, but I assume he's there with his son helping him fill up his, his, his truck with gas. And while they're here... While they're there filling up the gas, the off-duty officer in plain clothes and his son inside, uh, somebody decides to rob the the gas station. So, um, as the robber is coming out, off-duty officer draws his firearm, uh, goes to engage this guy who who uh, just robbed the gas station with the firearm, um, goes to present the gun uh, and squeeze the trigger. Nothing happens. Now. The article says it jams. I'm not really sure. That doesn't give us a lot of information, but um, it jams. And um, the officer's shot. And in the process, uh, depending on a couple of different articles that I've jumped around with, um, one of them says that he was actually able to get his gun running and shot two times. Um, they end up taking the guy into custody later on. Um, as the, you know, he, he, the off-duty cop gets shot, Son provides some aid while 911 arrives. Uh, they stabilize him and he, he survives the off-duty officer. Um, and they end up taking the, the guy into custody. Um, but kind of an interesting little uh, scenario that, that played out and got Riley thinking about some plan B type things and things to think about. Um, and, uh, and I think it sparked some good conversation in chat room. And uh, here we are. There you go. Indeed, here yeah. we are. Yeah, I did a little post about this and, and was frankly kind of surprised at how it sort of blew up a little bit. I mean, it's been shared all over the place. And it was a really simple post. But, I mean, I got to thinking as I was reading about this incident. Now, by the way, the first thing, and this is instinctive, I think, of pretty much all of us, is what? The officer's gun malfunctioned? I mean, the, all right. the news reports, of course, the term is jammed. I, I generally try to use the more correct terms, but uh, in the news reports, the officer, and initially it wasn't even clear if the police officer got any shots off. Now, the most recent report from Denver Post says that it, it's, it appears that he got two shots off and that they struck the robber's vehicle, which, by the way, had his two-year-old child in it, right? So, like, that's pretty crazy and scary and sad that this man's out there doing this, robbing stores, because he robbed a gas station or a store in uh, Erie, Colorado, which is 
another mm-hmm. quiet, sleepy town, actually. So I was joking a little bit about Arvada. Arvada is a pretty, pretty bustling little, you know, suburb of, of Denver. Uh, actually, Elke here posts, uh, let's see if I can pull that up again. He said that the mean streets in Arvada are growing, actually. 49% more assaults in 2018 than 2017, per the Arvada Press last week. <laughs> Whoa. That's what you call a big increase year over year. Uh, that's sad to hear. Uh, I would actually say that where I live, which is actually Lakewood, Colorado, has also seen a crime increase. I, I would say actually the Denver metro area has just been seeing crime increase, and it's been going on for a while. And there's not there's a lot of reasons why I think that is. We're not going to go into those today, but uh, I still think that where we are, where we live, is a, is a is a safe place, a safe community. But got to be on your toes. So here you have this um, this robber. He robbed a store in Erie, Colorado, which is a small town. He robbed another place. I don't remember where the where the other one was, and then he goes to rob this gas station. You know, it's a bad idea to rob gas stations. Gas stations aren't dumb. They get tired of getting robbed, and they stop carrying so much cash. Right. You know, they have little machines there that they get too much cash. And they go boop, 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 and they dump it in the machine. You know, like it, and it, and you know, like time lock safes and all that stuff. Like you just can't. Like this guy got away with two hundred bucks. Was it worth it? Jeez. Anyway, so quiet little Arvada, Colorado, man robs store with his two-year-old kid in tow. Officers outside pumping gas. Someone, after the robber has now exited the store, somebody, I don't know whether they yelled, hey, that man just robbed the place. or Because it made the, the Denver Post article made it seem like somebody recognized the cop as a cop. He's off duty, though. Maybe I don't know if he was in uniform. And just off duty, yeah, maybe. or if he was in a squad car, but having his son with him, it's probably not likely. You know, he's driving a squad car. Um, plus, I don't know that Denver cops really do that. I think they keep theirs at their stations, at their precincts. So, anyway, point is, somehow the officer learns that this there's a robbery taking place. He draws his gun, engages, apparently firing two shots, missing both times. Then his gun malfunctions, and he gets shot. Now, here here's the thing. And I think this is really a critical. Uh, I think this is actually a really critical thing to to, rec- to recognize. If, and I and I realize we're, we have to read in between the lines a little bit here, uh, and that's always a dangerous thing. I, I'd love to see a more detailed, more official report come out about this whole incident because uh, I I think there's probably learning lessons, you know, things we can learn. F- f- a lot of different things we can probably learn actually from this one incident. Uh, but this is what I surmise occurred, Matthew. Because it is stated in a, in numerous sources, numerous reporting organizations, where and, and this is actually in the affidavit. So that man was, I think, arraigned today uh, or yesterday, and he in the affidavit uh, he it was it was stated that he recognized or heard that the guns that the officer's gun malfunctioned. And while he could have just made his escape, it's at that time that he shot the cop. Wow. So, you know, and of course, all this probably happens within, you know, a couple of seconds, right? Like, cop, you know, pulls out his gun, sees armed man with gun. Maybe he yells a command. I don't know. But engages, fires shots, misses, unfortunately. Man recognizes cops' guns out of the fight and shoots him. 
That, hmm. That's basically the, the story that's being painted right now. And that, that sounds very plausible because if the officer is truly off duty, if he's not in uniform, if he's not in a squad car, which I think is likely all those things I think are likely to be the case. He's basically going to appear to the general public as being a civilian defender and he's probably carrying concealed. And so he's going to probably have the, the, the drop, if you will, on the robber, meaning that when that gun comes out, the robber is probably not expecting it, probably not even seeing it. And then shots are being fired. So those two shots are probably fired before the robber is, is able to do anything. And again, they both miss. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is, is we have here an officer, a detective, who should actually be, that's actually a good point. He's a detective, which might not necessarily mean he's wearing, you know, a normal uniform. Uh, But he's a detective, which means he's been on the force for some number of years, should be relatively well-trained. And you have a robber who's not really trained at all. And I, I suspect that because the, it's known now that he borrowed that gun from a friend. Now, I'm sure that friend, well, maybe, I don't know, you never know, but perhaps that friend didn't know what he was borrowing that gun for <laughs> to go and <laughs> commit all these robberies. But that tells me the man doesn't have his, a gun of his own. He had to go borrow a gun. Probably like, hey, man, can I borrow your gun? I'd like to go practice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, buddy, here you go. And then he's out <laughs> robbing these gas stations, right? And so uh, you have trained officer, miss bad guy, untrained bad guy, most likely. We don't actually really know a lot about the man's background. And he totally hits the cop multiple times. Most of the wounds were in his arms and shoulder and hands, which is not uncommon, actually, in a gunfight. Fortunately, for all involved... Nobody's dead. Child, a child mm-hmm. is not injured. In the case of the bad guys, two-year-old girl, the off-duty cop had a son, his son with him. I don't know the age of the son, but a child, most likely, or his his child anyway. That child is unharmed. The officer was harmed, but non-life-threatening wounds, and he will live to f- likely fight another day. Hopefully, he doesn't have to fight another day. All right. So, sorry. That's a lot of analysis. Uh, but, uh, so what we have here is a situation where I think we have a cop who chose to respond and he was not able to respond as effectively as he would have probably liked to, meaning that his first failure was missing his shots. And then the second failure was the gun malfunctioning. Mm -hmm. And the third failure apparently is not being able to get that gun back into the fight. Yeah, see, when I first saw that uh, Reddit, I thought that he had uh, the malfunction occurred right off the bat. And and after reading it more, um, I noticed you're right. He he experienced a malfunction after after already firing rounds, and which is it's it's in one respect it's good because we know that at least he had he he didn't experience like a you know I didn't have a, a round chambered and I thought I was a malfunction type incident right um so he 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 engaged um but on the on the other hand it's bad because he missed his first two shots which are critical and, and you know we always we we talk about and i, I know you've talked to john correa before and he always in every analysis of any shooting that you see 
usually the majority of the time, the first person who gets actual effective shots on the other guy usually is the victor, right? Or Mm -hmm. you have a much greater chance of surviving. And when those first two shots miss and you have a malfunction, your chances of being the victor in that uh, probably plummet extremely low. Um, I, I I was reading one article and it said that through the surveillance cameras, it appeared as though the guy, the the robber, uh, didn't have to shoot shoot the cop because he knew that the gun had jammed and he ha- he could have just left. Like he was already, you know, moving towards trying to leave when he noticed that the gun had jammed. That's when he 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 basically had a free shot at, at the cop. Yep. Now, there's a lot of comments and questions flying in here. In fact, let's address a, a couple of those now. Um, I'm just going to kind of work my way up. First, Tony asks, how far from the robber was he? The answer is we don't know. It's too early to know. Uh, I would say it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's a gas station. And from the from the aerial shots of the gas station, I mean, Depending on where the guy was parked, depending on where the officer was was pumping gas, it could have been anywhere from three yards to probably 15 or 20 yards, right? But it's kind of irrelevant because the officer missed, but the bad guy didn't. See what I'm getting at? It's not really relevant. Uh, It's still... I hate to be too hard on 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 the guy that got shot here, but you know it. The reality is he missed, and it, I'm not seeing anything that this robber like. Well, hey, your gun jammed. I'm going to walk right up to you now and and you know shoot you. It kind of sounded like maybe seemed like he recognized the guns. The, the officer's gun was out of the fight and paused, and then took a shot at him. A more m- more accurate shot, right? Like yeah. rather than just spraying shots, he 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 actually yeah. uh yeah. You know, this maybe makes me wonder, okay, all right, maybe the maybe the shots at the bad guy were bad guy was on the move. Mm-hmm. All right. That that makes it more plausible or, or understandable why they would miss. But then officer's gun j- uh, jams, malfunctions, and at that point, maybe the officer's not moving, right? And he's trying to figure out w- what's going on here, and so he's stationary, a lot easier target for the bad guy. That could be. It's plausible, right? And, and so that that's my point is there's all kinds of lessons that we can get out of this. Now, other questions, and there's a lot of questions. And again, it's very natural for people to want to know this. Everybody's like, what gun was the officer using? What gun, what gun, what gun? Gotta know because the gun malfunctioned. Um, We don't know the answer to that, okay? Again, because now, by the way, some some here surmising. Well, maybe it's a Glock, maybe Glock seventeen. Uh, this is a you know Denver officer. My understanding, unless I missed an announcement anywhere, is that Denver Police Department has a an approved list of guns. So I believe Denver is one of those departments that they go with the. I mean, if you want to be issued a gun, I, I actually don't know if they have. I'd have to double check on on some of these facts. Uh, it might be, well, there's, there's a lot of different ways that departments do this sort of thing, right? Some will just straight up say, here's an allotment or here's an allowance, essentially. We're going to give you 1400 bucks, and that $1,400 is for you to go buy a handgun, magazines, uh, your uniforms, your boots, uh, holsters, all that stuff. Here's 1400 bucks, whatever you can get for that. It's, it, you know, there you go. That, I have a cousin that works for a department, and that's how they how they do things there. Um, okay, so that's one way. 
All right. Another way is the officer just provides everything or the department just provides everything. Here's your, and in that case, it's going to be a Glock or a P320 or an MMP or whatever, right? Typically. All right. So that's the other, the other way. And then another way is a department will say, uh, here's, here's a issued, here's issued equipment that you can have. Okay. But it's probably used, probably beat up a little bit. Maybe it's not even something that you would prefer or doesn't fit your hand. And then, then they might say, or on your own dime, you can use one of these approved things. Okay. So anyway, my, my, my understanding with Denver is that they just have an, uh, an approved list. So it could be all kinds of different guns, even if it's an on-duty gun. Um, and they, they, I believe, have a list for duty guns, off-duty guns, and they may even have like a special category, which could be things like you know detectives and SWAT and stuff like that might you know be in a whole other category. So anyway, that's beside the point, though. And this is my response to the question: What gun was it? It's actually completely irrelevant. And if you saw my post, and if you saw this story, and you saw the the chatter that was happening on our concealed carry Facebook page and all this stuff, and your response was, "What gun was it?" or "It probably was, you know, probably was a this gun, or it probably was that gun, or should have been a Glock, or you know, like there's all these comments where, and it, this is a total hu- natural human r- response to try to find an answer and a lot of times we pick the gun we pick the equipment and we want to know what it was but the reality is it's actually irrelevant and if that was your response then you missed the point you missed the entire point of my post all right so we've just taken all this time to get to what is the point and the title of this episode is do you know questions you should be asking yourself that's actually, it's two, two different things. I'm not saying, do you know questions you should be asking yourself? I'm actually referring to these as, do you know questions? Okay? Because they all kind of start with a, do you know? And so, that's where I'd like to go next. Matthew, any other thoughts? No, let's do it. So, the first thing I asked is, do you know the condition of your firearm you carry for defense? Yeah. Can, can what does that I... mean to you? Yeah, can uh, and he, here's something, and I'll, I won't go off on a super long tangent, but just follow like me. I for just one. did. <laughs> <laughs> follow me. Follow me for one second, okay? So, uh, a while back, I wrote an article about um, doing chamber checks, brass checks, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what what I was talking about was actually confirming that you have a round in the chamber. Okay, by, you know, either pulling the slide slightly back and observing, or maybe you have a loaded chamber indicator, or you have a hole that you can kind of see through and see if there's a round in there, however you do it. Um, And I was shocked. I knew there were many people that said, I never do, you know, that's stupid. I, I, I never check the chamber, you know, check the condition. I already know it. But I was shocked with how many people were absolutely opposed to doing it and said it was, it was dumb to do it. And I thought, all right. And, and the reasoning was that I put my gun away and I never unload it. So when I go and I take it out of the, out of the safe, uh, it's loaded. I know it's loaded and I don't have to worry about it. Or, uh, you know, I don't do that because if I pull the slide slightly back, I could induce a malfunction and then, you know, it wouldn't be in battery and I wouldn't be able to fire it. And, and so it, it was all these justifications for not doing it. But 
the reason behind it wasn't because you don't know the condition of the gun. It was to confirm the condition of the gun so you can be confident that your gear is ready to go. Um, because there's a lot of people that believe that they know the condition of their gun because they just know it and they go to pull the trigger and nothing happens. I mean, it happens all the time on the range. If you've ever shot it, if you shot your gun enough on the range, there will be a time that you thought you chambered around, you go to run a drill and you don't ever run chamber. I mean, it's the truth. And if it can happen, then it can happen anywhere. And so I think knowing the condition of your firearm, is there a round in the chamber before you leave the home or whatever, you know, your deal is before you go, you know, uh, if you, if you're a security guard or whatever it is, knowing the condition doesn't just mean, Hey, you know, it was loaded last night. I put it in the safe and I took it out and it, it's gotta be loaded. That's not knowing that that's trusting that something didn't change in the time that the gun wasn't in your possession. And I'm not saying check the chamber every time, every 10 minutes or anything. I'm just saying, it really should help you to build a system in place where every time I take the gun out, whether I unloaded it that night or I didn't, when I load it up, I chamber around, I check it to make sure the rounds in there. And then I know, put it in my holster. Now I know I physically and visually check that chamber. And I know I'm not just trusting, actually knowing is, is way more uh, important than just trusting that there, mm. there is a round in there. So, but Matthew, I put the gun in my safe. I locked the safe. Nobody touched it till I got up the next morning. How can you tell me that it's possible something could have changed? Yeah, so here's the thing. You build a you build a sequence so whatever gun that you happen to be using that day, maybe you grab a different gun or maybe you're going to carry a different holster or you're dressed differently and you go to grab that gun and it's not loaded and you're like, okay, I'm going to carry this gun today. You fill up the magazine and you don't have a system in place where you, you, you go through this checklist before you head out the door, right? It might sound stupid, but you know, something that you do all the time becomes repetitive and, and you kind of just do it on autopilot. Well, take something and just switch it just a little bit and say, I'm going to carry this gun this day. And maybe you don't do a chamber check, or maybe that gun wasn't wasn't loaded the night before, but you're so used to just grabbing it out there and putting it in your holster that now you grab this other gun, you put a magazine, put it in your holster, and you're, you're off. And then when you need to use it, it's not loaded. So building a sequence, you know, a little a little checklist of what you do really helps you no matter what little changes in, in, in happen that you know that you, you're ready to go. So... It's just, it's just advice that I would give somebody. I did it as a police officer before I went to Nate. I checked my gear all the time. Like, it, so it was just, it, I don't know. It's just something I, I try to tell people not to take things for granted. Well, Matthew, you were you also a Marine uh, de- deployed over to Iraq. And I mean, when you guys get ready to, you know, go out on patrol or whatever, like, did you check stuff? Yeah. I mean, you, you're checking yourself. You're checking the guy next to you. You're sitting there like, dude, like, what do you, you know, buckle this snap. Cause your, your canteen's going to go flying out your, your gear, your, you know, your magazine's going to like, you're checking everybody, not just you, but you're making sure everybody's good to go because things happen. You're trying to do a million things and, you know, think about all the stuff you do when you're running out and all of a sudden you, uh, out the door and you, you forget your, your phone or your wallet or something. I mean, that, that's something that you keep, keep with you all the time. It, it's, it's not a, 
stretch to think that you might forget to 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 rack a rack the slide or you know if you whatever it is you know and so um, make sure the magazine's seated or something simple like that. I, I put the magazine in real quick, put it in my holster, and I'm out the door. Well, what if the magazine stays in there, but it wasn't totally seated? And then you get into a shooting, you shoot that first round, and the magazine drops out. That's going to suck. <laughs> so, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. something simple yeah. as that. You know what? That's probably one that not a lot of people actually would, would think about or comment in response to this uh, officer getting shot post. Uh, I've seen a lot of different suggestions. Well, it's probably this. It was probably that. It's probably that. You know, like the truth is we don't know, which right. is which is true. But that's actually a, a a possibility that a lot of people don't think about that uh, that I've seen happen. That you draw your gun, you go to shoot, and because you did chamber it initially, it shoots, but your magazine's not locked in place. Now sometimes the magazine is it hasn't dropped far enough yet that it, the gun will still managed to pick up the next round, but maybe after that next round, then the magazine's fallen a little bit further, and now it's not picking up rounds. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, like, see what I'm getting at? Like, is it plausible that Officer Drew Gunn and got two shots off and his magazine fell out? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Um, getting some reports of uh, the feed not working super great, but guys, bear with us. It'll improve. It usually does usually so uh yeah dude i'm with you man like to me it's all about personal preparedness and equipment readiness uh you you should you should you should know what your current level of skill and prepare and personal preparedness is and you should know the condition and the readiness of your gun or equipment or what you know whatever that is uh i think that's all really important so I appreciate your thoughts on that. And so here's the point of what I was getting at is the first question I ask is, do you know the condition of your firearm you carry for defense? Now, this is not just implying, do you know that it's loaded or not? Do you know that it's chambered or not? Do you, you know, do you know the condition of your firearm? Is it in good working condition? Do you shoot enough that you have confidence in that gun? you know that it is, in fact, in working condition? Or has it been eight months since you put a couple of magazines through it? You know what? A lot of crap can happen. And in fact, a lot of crap, frankly, can build up in a gun in eight months. Now, I know some of you will answer with, but I clean it regularly. Okay, that's helpful. That is true. That is helpful. But there's still a bunch of things that can go wrong with these mechanical devices. Somebody said they rely on their loaded chamber indica indicator. All right, fine. It's a mechanical device you're still relying upon to tell you that the condition of your gun. What doesn't lie is when I pull my slide back slightly and I see round and chamber, I see brass. Yep, good. All right, cool. Slide back forward, make sure everything's back in battery. Good to go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer in checking and, and confirming and knowing the condition of my equipment. Now, this is actually one of the reasons, one of the things we tweaked, and we did the whole episode, Matthew, about the the four firearm safety mm -hmm. rules that uh, concealedcarry.com has now adopted. And the first rule is know the condition of your firearm and always treat it as a potentially dangerous tool. So most schools, most organizations that have firearm safety rules, it's all about the treat all firearms as though they're loaded, you know, piece. Like, 
Uh, that's great, and it's a perfect place to start. But I felt it was really critical that it, th- these were meant to be rules for the real world, not just theoretical. I'm trying to make sure that I'm safe, and so you know, make sure that I always treat this thing as though it's loaded, even if it is or isn't. I wanted there to be a piece about I should know what condition my gun is in. If I if I if I am intending for it to be unloaded, I should know it's unloaded. If I'm intending on it being loaded, I should know it's loaded. And 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 it's it's a safety thing on both sides of the equation. Now, the bigger thing is and the bigger risk that most people have is the likelihood of them accidentally shooting themselves or somebody else. And so knowing something's unloaded and still not treating it okay as a toy. Remember the second part of the rule is treating it as a potentially dangerous tool. But imagine you're carrying a gun and it's not ready to fire, but you think it is? It's a bad way to start off a gunfight. Second question I asked in my post was, do you know, and this is kind of the same thing. We won't spend a lot of time on this one. Do you know that it is in good work, work, good working order? It's kind of asking the same thing, but just adding a little bit more detail and context. So do you know first the, the, the condition of your firearm you carry for defense, which also implies do you know that it's loaded when it should be loaded, all that stuff. Do you know that it's in good working order? So we've already touched on that. Now, how about this one, Matthew? Do you know your chosen defensive ammunition performs well and reliably in your firearm? Yeah, and and, and that's that's a big one. And, and so um, if, you've, if you've never shot your defensive ammunition through your gun, I'm, I'm talking hollow point. Hopefully you're not carrying full metal jacket for your defensive carry ammo or whatever, but um, uh, you'll know that certain ammunition in, in, is finicky in certain guns. And it's just because the angles might not be exactly the same. And, you know, and, and you got to find out if your ammunition cycles, it could be um, a big, big surprise to you when you go out and you buy, you know, a $50 box of, you know, self-defense ammunition. Um, and you don't want to go out to the range and shoot it. Right. And you're like, Oh, I don't want to shoot all this, but you got to put, you got to put that round, those rounds through there. So you know that, Hey, this ammunition will feed. It will not cause a malfunction. I'm not just saying shoot one round. I'm saying shoot a magazine, shoot a box of it. So, you know, don't just take for granted that it's going to go like, Oh, you know, my Glock will feed anything. It probably will. Right. But why go on probability? We're not, I mean, you have one chance if, if, if the odds are, if you get in a shooting are very low, right. But in that one chance, in that small percentage, you have one chance to make as much stuff go right as possible. And why not stack it in your, in, in, in your, you know, in your benefit or on your side to say, I'm going to stack the deck as best I can, because I know I can't control some of the things, but I'm going to control everything that I possibly can. And I'm going to make sure this ammunition works. So it's, it's probably something that might be something that people don't normally think about. Yep. Good stuff, man. Uh, You know, the sec, there's kind of two parts there, right? I said, do you know, that your chosen defensive ammunition performs well and reliably in your firearm. Now, probably most people read this and probably focus on the, my ammunition works in my gun. 
right? This is an impo- such an important thing, you know, that you should know that whatever hollow point round, whatever it is that you're carrying in your gun, and we could do a whole episode. We've done episodes. In fact, not too long ago, talked about talked with Dave Spalding about stopping stopping power of right. ammunition and all that. But um, whatever you've chosen, okay, have you run enough of that through your carry gun to know that it functions reliably? So that's the part that probably most people take away from that question. The second thing is, do you know that that ammunition actually performs well, right? right. And, and I hope you do. And I hope that you chose that particular load because of studying and and looking at data and research and results and things. And a lot of times it's a hard thing to do on your own, but there's there's companies and websites and magazines and journals and, you know, different things that you can find a lot of great data from. And so, um, and also just like what police departments are using. And what you get from listening to my episode with Dave Spaulding is that pretty much the HST and the gold dot, like those have just seen so much use and so many departments issue them that we get the benefit of seeing a lot of results from bad guys being shot with gold dots and HSTs. And doesn't mean that there aren't other bullets out there that work well or are likely to work well. But it does mean that those have a huge amount of data that gives us a pretty reasonable pre, a reasonable level of confidence that if that's what you also choose to carry, it's probably going to work. And that's a, that's a good thing to know. Next question. Does your chosen defensive firearm have a history of reliability and durability? Yeah, and this, this is the part where everybody is like, well, I, I've had my Glock and it's never, you know, malfunctioned. And somebody said, I'll never use a Glock because I had one and it sucked. And the, you know what I mean? It's like, but some of this becomes subject is subjective, but others, but it's not totally subjective. It's not like, well, every gun's going to work and every gun's going to fail. Yes, that's totally true. And I, I, amen, I totally agree with that. However, there are some guns that work better than others and some that don't work as well. So, um, you know, just from seeing guns, and I know you from teaching, you've seen this uh, probably happen a lot, but you see certain guns that uh, brand of gun or maybe a model of gun that seems to have more more malfunctions than others um, and some that just seem, you know, they come through and you never really see a problem with them. Um I think we probably are on the same page and most of the listeners will agree that like, you know, it's not, if you have a Glock or a Smith and Wesson or, uh, uh, you know, a SIG or one of the major mouth, major, uh, manufacturers, they've run a lot of, I mean, these guns have been shot a lot. And so there's a lot of data and there's, they're fairly reliable. All those kinks and little things kind of get worked out. Um, but every gun can fail, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. ch- just check, you know, I, I remember, remember you did a article on the 365 when it first came out and there was a lot of people saying, I'll never, I won't carry it until they fix that problem or, you know, until that, that that's kind of fixed. And that's a totally legitimate thing to say, right? Like there's nothing wrong with all Sig Sours, but this is a brand new model. There are some kinks that have to be worked out. So once they work work it out, you know, shoot on the range and shoot a lot of a lot of ammo. But once you know, fixed, then you can carry it. But don't just throw it on and and carry it without you know if there's a history or something that's been going wrong with you know some of the the earlier models and stuff. So just 
you know, make sure that it's worked out. Yep. I think yeah, uh, that's, that's all very, very relevant. And, and I, I concur with everything you said that, uh, yeah, you know that there are guns that they have a track record of being reliable, reliable, uh, yeah. Glock is one of those. Okay. Just, it's true. It has a track record and a history of reliability and durability. By the way, what's the difference between reliability and durability? Why yeah, did well, I include those two factors? Yeah, so durability is something like, you know, the the when you use it through a normal like normal usage, right? Like or even heavy usage or extraordinary usage, it's it's going to still perform under adverse conditions rather than hey, we have a track record and we shot all these guns and all the conditions were great and we never had any malfunctions. Well, that's great, but when you get into a fight or if you're, you know, it's raining or snow or whatever, the golf gun falls on the ground and gets dirt on it. Is it durable to be able to, 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 you know, work through all those things? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I think that's where you're going for. Well, yeah. I mean, reliability, if functions, you know, every time it, you pull the trigger, it goes bang. Durability lasts a long time, mm-hmm. right? That That is the distinction there. So, all right, here's the next question. Did you know, or do you know, that some malfunctions are shooter-induced? I know because I've done some (laughs) malfunctions that I've induced on my own. Yeah, but this is definitely a question for our podcast listeners. Because, you know, again, so much effort, if you look at all the comments, has been made about, whoa, what gun was it? Or it must have been this gun, or it must have been this thing. You know, like, so equipment-focused. But how often is a malfunction, a failure like this, potentially the result of the officer doing something? Shooter-induced. He did something. Now, what what could that be? Well, it could be that he did not obtain a good grip on the gun. He had a crappy, crappy grip. And, uh, you know, a, a, a bad grip changes the way that gun cycles a little bit. You grip too low on the grip, for instance, the cycling of the gun changes a little bit. It's hard for us to see and recognize that, but it's true. And so maybe something that you've tested and you've shot a bunch and you've gone, hey, with this particular load, this is reliable. Take that same load and that same gun, the same conditions, but change your grip a little bit. Might not be as reliable as what you thought. One thing I like to test for is what I I consider inherent reliability. And and what I what I mean by that is, is I think that there are certain guns, certain platforms that inherently are less likely to have failures when a shooter doesn't shoot them quite the right way or the way that they are intended to be shot. Yes. So we'll do a like a an, I'll I'll intentionally limp wrist the gun. And the whole thing with limp wristing is that, and it's actually less probably probably less about how much the gun or how um, how do I say this? It's not. It's probably less actually about how the gun rises or flips, and more about a lack of resistance in that that grip of the gun. Um, so, in other words, that that the gun and, and everything is able to move to the rear along with the cycling slide. Because you have to think about that, right? Like for a slide to cycle, there have to be other things that sort of remain somewhat stationary. There's got to be some resistance. And if there's not resistance, like if you just put a gun down and like on the ground, no support, 
and you had some way of firing that trigger and the gun's going to kind of rotate or spin on the ground and it's just going to kind of spin around and you'll see the slide move slightly but it won't cycle the whole way because there's no resistance holding the frame of the gun in place allowing that slide to have something to kind of push against to to permit it to cycle and so anyway so there's lots of things that could happen again that was a lot of focusing on the gun, but just focusing on kind of the physics of how a gun works. But those physics for them to work requires a skilled shooter, someone that's not weak, someone that's not gripping the gun poorly, someone that's not, uh, you know, that, that's not limp-wristing it essentially, you know, things like that. So, so it, this could have, this could have absolutely been something that was shooter induced that there was something about the way that officer grabbed the gun, shot the gun, used the gun that caused it to malfunction. It could have been, could have been. Imagine this. Do you remember the video, Matthew, uh, the Las, I think it's a Las Vegas uh, Metro uh, police officer chasing bad guy in a Suburban and he shoots through his windshield. The Suburban crashes and then he shoots through the side, you know, window, door, whatever. So, but there's a point too where he does a reload and he like puts the gun in his left hand and grabs yes. his mag. And you know, you remember that part. Yeah. But do you remember that when he's shooting through the windshield, he actually had his his thumbs Thumb cr- crossed yeah. over? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, sometimes you see some weird stuff when people get under stress. Shooters that maybe have never done anything like that, and then all of a sudden they do it when they're just insanely stressed out. Well, I would could have been I, that he gripped it funny and put his thumb behind the slide. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I'm I don't know how many people um, have uh, like the Smith and Wesson with the backstrap safety, but I've seen a lot of times, um, especially shooting from like a, 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 you know a, a retention position or something where the the hand just gets to a certain point on that backstrap safety where it's not engaged, and they go to squeeze sure. the trigger and they're like, my gun's not working, and it's like. Because you're not gripping it, you're, you're, there's a gap right there, yeah. and so that's actually be, one of my big complaints about the Springfield XD yeah. pistols and XDSs. Yeah. You know, a lot a lot has been made about you know there's you go into any Springfield or Glock group, and the Glock guys are are making fun of the Springfields, and the Springfields are making fun of the Glocks. But just because as a as a firearms instructor, you and I, Matthew, like I I have an inherent like. We've seen that sort of thing happen. In fact, our Guardian pistol course we taught together in Ohio, we had a shooter there shooting an SD, and I remember we had an incident with a grip safety not being fully depressed. Yeah. And I think some of that was the shooter was fatigued. It was towards the end of the day, not even like the first day, if I remember correctly. You know, so we'd been a couple of long days, long, hot days of training, and you're fatigued. But guess what? When you're put under stress, adrenaline starts dumping, things don't work as well as they normally do. Yeah. And it was <laughs> and hot. So, too, so. It, it, you know, it, it can be, the result can be sort of like what you might find from someone who's fatigued, you know, they're not gripping things right. They're not holding things right, you know. So, yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. Um, so. Yeah, I know that there are guys. So comments, of course. Well, I love the grip safety. Well, there, there, there are benefits to the grip safety. And the 1911 platform 
has a grip safety. In fact, if my if I'm if history is recalled correctly in my brain, when John Moses Browning was designing in 1911, he wanted it to just have a grip safety and not even have the what we all know now is standard on every 1911 that manual 19 uh uh manual safety lever. There we go. That's what I was trying to say. Um, <clears throat> stop saying silly stuff, Alki. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, <laughs> you know, if I remember correctly, the 1911, the original design was grip safety and that's it. The idea being that until, until you were actually gripping the gun, until that grip safety was depressed, that gun's not firing. And that's true. If you look at how a 1911 mechanism works, the trigger doesn't go back until the grip safety is depressed. Right, but I think it was the U.S. military that was like, mm, I don't know if we're okay with that. So let's add another safety. So really, that manual safety on a, on a 1911 is is like unnecessary to some extent. I'm not saying go carry your 1911s without using it. If you have it, you have a safety, use it. But anyway, um, so sa- grip safeties definitely have a have advantages. They have benefits, but there's that potential drawback, and be aware of that. Okay. I think that's a bigger important lesson actually. You should be aware that it's possible that you draw and go to use that gun one day and it doesn't fire when you expect it to and you should immediately be thinking, okay, that did not work. Trigger did not go back. You know, and you should be diagnosing things on the fly very quickly and realizing maybe my grip's not quite fully depressed. Some of you'll say it's never happened to me. Guess what? A lot of people have said that and I've seen that same mistake happen again and again. Um, okay. So how do we avoid shooter induced <laughs> malfunctions, Matthew? I'm sorry. How, how do we question? avoid shooter induced malfunctions? I think we're having a little bit of a lag and delay in our audio. Um, how do you avoid yeah, uh, shooter induced malfunctions? I think the first one is to understand what they, what causes them, right? Like, just like you said, if you know that a loose grip or not gripping that back strap safety or right, the right way, or having the gun up against my chest in a compressed position where the slide can't cycle, um, something like that. If, if I know that beforehand, or if I know if I'm going to do a contact shot and I jam that barrel, you know, or the slide into somebody and it sets it back and it takes it on a battery. If I know that kind of stuff, then I can train and avoid that. But if I don't know, then how am I going to, to, to stop it from happening? So just like you said, I think understanding what causes these, how outside of ammunition, cause you can't just, maybe you can sometimes, but you, sometimes you can't see a bad round, right? Like you just won't know if that primer is bad. I don't know. So you can't control that, but you can control your wrist or where the gun is and, and stuff like that. So um, I think understanding the, the, what you, what you can do to cause malfunctions and then trying to train to avoid those. And if something happens, if you're in a compressed position or you're, you know, contact shot or something, and you squeeze that trigger, nothing happens, know how to get the gun back in a battery or understand, Hey, this is what's going on. Get the gun in battery and be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just saw your article today uh, published on concealed uh, talking about uh, contact shots, guns going out of battery, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, that was a long time ago, but it, it I mean, it's relevant, you know, it, it, yep. it you never know. 
Oh, that's right. It was. It was. You're. You're right. It was published a while ago, and I think Josh, our managing editor, uh, uh, updated it and tweaked yeah. it, and then republished it. Yeah, right. It's a good article, though. He made it better. You know, made it better. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, it comes down to yes. Are Are you regularly training and practicing, and are your skills at a level they need to be? And how do we know if our skills are at a level that they ought to be? Well, that's a good question. But here's what I pretty much do know. I know that we can all improve and get better. So if we're not constantly actively improving and working towards that, then we're not improving. We're not getting better. And, and actually, I'm a personal believer that there's no such thing as like status quo, you know, or, or stagnate, you know, uh, uh, conditions you know that a person like as a human being i believe we either are getting better or we're getting worse all the time like i think it's dang near impossible to just be like i'm here and i'm awesome and i'm always going to stay right there i just don't think it works that way because if we're talking about skills in particular skills fade and they go away I used to be able to speak Japanese super fluently. I lived there for a couple of years. Uh, I could still speak it okay. I can understand it okay, but I'm not using it all the time. So, like, right. the fact is, I I took in the knowledge already. I learned all of that. I communicated on a daily basis in a foreign language for you know two years, and I haven't spoken it regularly in a long time. So it goes away. <laughs> Shooting definitely is a perishable skill. I mean, does that mean that like, say like a Rob Latham or a Max Michelle or somebody that, you know, takes a break from shooting for a while that when they come back to it, that they're going to be like bad. No, they're still going to be better than most, you know, most people on the planet, but they will see a degradation of skills. And in fact, a lot of shooters, in fact, if you really pay close attention or follow any of like the world's top elite shooters, we're talking about Rob Latham, Mike Seeklander, uh, uh, Max Michelle, Eric Raffel, um, you know, uh, Shane Coley. I mean, there's so many names now you can throw out there. There's a lot of really, you know, elite world class shooters. A lot of times, those guys, they don't train at the same level of intensity all year round. Right, right. Because if you did, you'd burn out. It's also maybe not. It's arguably not as effective. So, like, they know what they have to do to get. And that's the cool thing about when you sort of mastered a certain level of skill, or you achieve a certain level. Like, you know what you have to do to get back to that high, high, high level. And that's a kind of a remarkable thing. And I think that's part of what comes with mastery is the knowledge of I know how I got here. And I recognize that I can't just keep it there 100% of the time, but I do know that by, if I just take three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, and I do these things and work at it, I'll be right back up there. Right? Yeah. It, it, and you know, while you were while you were saying that, I was thinking, and I thought back to when you first were talking and introducing the story, right? And you said um, you mentioned something about well, he was a detective, so you think that he would have some you know, more training probably than the average, you know, maybe a rookie police officer, but you know, and I know because you've taught cops how to shoot and I've taught cops how to shoot. You've worked with cops and I've worked with cops. And, um, and, and you know, that probably if you're just looking at marksmanship skills on the, on average, a cop coming from the Academy right off the bat probably has more. I don't want to say they're a better shooter, but they probably have had more training in that time frame than a detective 
who maybe has gone up and been a te- detective for the last 10 years or something and is like, Hey man, I'm not on the, I don't patrol anymore. I don't, I don't do all that stuff. You know, I, I respond to calls. I don't need to do this stuff. And they don't really push themselves. They go to a qual uh, once a year or twice a year and, and, and they get by and they're like, Hey, I'm good. Where that patrol officer, that rookie is like, I got to go every week. And so I think you, what you were talking about as far as like, you have this mastery, right? And then you don't work and, and it starts to, to, to come down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask like the people that are thinking, if, if you go to like one class, uh, uh, you know, a year or you, you train really hard for, you know, two months and then you're like, I'm good. Uh, I'll, I'll train in a couple more months. You don't know when that shooting's going to happen. Right. And your skills gradually go down. And so it, I would think, you know, try to maintain at least a, 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 a I want to say, I don't want to say a baseline because that, that kind of says that you're, you're never going to go up, but you know, you want to get out there and shoot periodically. So it's not like, yeah, I'm a really good shooter, but I haven't shot and I haven't shot my gun in three months. That's where I am because I've had surgery and I, I haven't been able to get out to the range. And I feel like when I pick up my gun, I'm dry firing. I feel different. Right. I just, I, I know that I'm not as good as I was three months ago before my surgery. And so I, I would challenge you guys yeah. to, to think about that. Like if, if you're a good shooter, but you haven't shot in three months, do you really think that you're going to be as good as you were three months ago? Maybe, but if you've gone down, even if it's just one notch, maybe that's not enough to get you through that next fight. So don't rest on your laurels and, and don't just, you know, say, Oh, I'm good enough because you don't know what good enough is going to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good thoughts, man. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Where are your current level of skill and are you improving? And I would argue that if you're not regularly taking training courses and regularly getting to the range and practicing those things you learn, then you're probably not. And then also regularly. Uh, even doing things like dry fire, practicing other things at home in a dry fire uh, setup that you, you know, so so in other words, you're maximizing this time to constantly work at things and get better. If you're not doing that, I would argue, almost argue that you're not as, as good as you probably want to be on your worst day of your life when somebody's trying to kill you, right? So there's plenty of evidence that shows that Many, many, many civilian defenders have successfully defended themselves, and they have very little to almost zero training whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that everybody gets lucky. Like you know, you know what? Some of those situations, people get lucky. I or or I don't know. I, I, not that I necessarily believe in luck. It's just that's how it worked out. All right. Uh, it could have just as easily gone another way, right? Uh, but. Uh, I don't want to just be kind of counting on luck mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. All right. I want to know that my skill is at a level and is, and is, and is being maintained at a level and is improving to a level to where I have some, I have a great deal of confidence in my ability to handle myself with a gun. Right. And then I can worry about all the other crap when I, when I do land on that worst day of my life. I don't want to have to be asked to shoot at a very high level of proficiency under a high level of stress for the first time ever when that day comes. 
okay, I should have already experienced that. And the way you experience that is getting through some quality training and training courses that will help prepare you for that. All right. Uh, two final questions here. Do you know that even when you've addressed everything above, so what have we covered so far? Do you know the condition of your firearm you carry for defense? Do you know that it's in good working order? Do you know your, your chosen defensive ammunition performs well and reliably in your firearm? Does your chosen defensive firearm have a history of reliability and durability? Did you know that some malfunctions are shooter-induced? Are you regularly training and practicing? Are your skills at a level that they need to be? Okay. If you can answer all those questions, you say, yes, I've addressed these things. Do you know that even sometimes, even then, Murphy's Law still catches up with you? Mm-hmm. In other words, whether you're a believer in Murphy's Law or not, whatever, just sometimes crap happens. All right, that gun that you've carried and you've shot 40,000 rounds through and you're like, it's been you know, 99.999% reliable for 40,000 rounds and you know, I've regularly maintained it, I've replaced recoil springs, extractors, extractor springs, all, you know, magazines, all this stuff. I've done all the right things and I have all this faith in this gun and then that one particular day crap just happens and your gun breaks. Mm-hmm. It can happen, right? So the natural follow-up to that is, what's your plan B? All these questions are inspired by this event, this officer getting shot here in Arvada, Colorado. Something went wrong, and I, I'm not saying this is for sure, because again, we don't know all the details, but I kind of get the sense that maybe he didn't, I think the whole situation happened so fast, uh, and he probably didn't really have much of a chance. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I didn't get the sense that he really had much of a plan B. All right. Right. Like, what's the next thing? You know, again, we, we surmised. Now, again, don't take this as judgment of him or the situation that occurred. And don't take this as us trying to put our own ideas upon what happened and, and, and imagining or assuming that this is what happened. But, but the things that we are suggesting, I think, are all plausible. And, and what that means is it's an opportunity for us to ask these questions. Imagine these scenarios. It's called scenario scenario based training. Like you're you're training your brain, your mind, uh, and there's actual, of course, a scenario based training of that you do, like simunitions and that sort of thing. But I'm just talking about thinking your way through scenarios. Okay, so you're in a gunfight all of a sudden that was sprung upon you in a matter of seconds, and now all of a sudden you know that you're pressing the trigger, but the gun's not working. What's your plan B? Now, some of you are saying, tap rack. Okay, all right. How do, we, we don't know that the officer didn't do a tap rack, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that still didn't fix it. Or maybe, as we surmised, maybe his magazine fell to the ground. Maybe he didn't realize his magazine fell to the ground. He tap racked and went, well, that still didn't fix it. Well, wait, where's my magazine? You know, now you're scrambling around for a magazine on the ground. Or, do you, or what, do you carry a spare? See, here's, so this leads us to a whole bunch of other questions. Sorry, Matthew. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, and, and that's perfect. Like I was just going to say, what if it is a, 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 a malfunction that you can't fix? Like, mm-hmm. let's say that's the time that you're, if you're shooting with an optic, it decides it's going to, you know, crap out on you or your mm-hmm. rear sight is going to shift on you or whatever it might be. Like, that's not something you can fix with immediate action, right? Yep. Like, so there are things that, that may happen that you, that are outside of your control. Uh, maybe you have a catastrophic failure in your gun. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it, I don't think any ammunition 
is 100% reliable, right? Like, so what if you do have some crazy bad round from Spear, you know what I mean? And you get that one out of 10 million chance that could be you. I mean, it's gotta be somebody, right? And so, um, don't, don't always like, this is one of the things like we train for what we can control, but also train for something happening that you can't have any control over right? Like my gun blows up or my gun just for whatever reason, it melts down. I have no control. I can't use it. And somebody uh, can in the, in the, you know, notes said, or in the comments said, throw the gun. I mean, that might sound like, Oh, I'm never going to throw my gun. But like, if your gun has, if let's say you're taking, I've, I've, I had a, a, a officer who was shot in the hand uh, through his gun or off his gun, his gun was destroyed. So is his hand. I mean, if, if, if that guy's running at him or he has no other mode to, to, to another weapon, what would be wrong with hitting, using that gun as an impact weapon or, you know, your gun completely malfunctions. You don't have enough, or you've used all your ammunition. You carry a spare, you've used all that. And now you're in a hand to hand fight. Well, yeah, that's an awesome impact weapon. Right. So think about like, how am I going to survive a scenario yeah. without my gun? You know, my number one response would be in this situation is get off the X, mm -hmm. as James Jager would say. Yeah. Move. Get off the X, move, and move with purpose, with energy, with speed. Okay. And what, okay, where are you moving? Well, this happened in a gas station around pumps and vehicles. There's lots of opportunities to move to a better place of cover, lots of opportunities. And so move. This son, this guy had his son with him. We don't know where that son was. Move for your sake and move in a direction it takes gunfire away from your son. That would be the thing to do. Now, J Matthew, how often when we are taking students through the class and they are learning how to shoot and move or shoot while on the move for the first time, how often do we see situations where a student should be moving but stops moving yeah it, it, it you know it, it happens oftentimes if they either have a malfunction or if they run dry as they're moving like moving from cover to cover and in the middle they have a malfunction or you know they have to make a magazine change and they stop to make the magazine change right mm -hmm. like i i see that quite a bit yep and, and the reason why is because most of the, most most of you out there the thing is, is if you're in a gunfight, uh, I unless you have cover, you should be moving. How many of you have practice and training shooting while on the move and can do it proficiently? Okay. And then how many of you know that if something changes while you're moving and shooting, that you're going to be able to continue to do so? And some of you think, well, uh, why wouldn't, you know, like, but the reality is, that you, most of you have probably not shot and moved at the same time, and that's a big like. That's a, if I took took you to the range and said, "All right, Matthew, you're going to start here and you're going to move to that point and you're going to shoot right while you're doing that while you're moving," and you'd be like, "Oh, wow, okay, how do I do that? And how do I do that safely?" Okay, and so then you'd go and you do it, and you'd be so focused on like you're thinking about every little thing you're doing because you want to make sure that you can do it number one and that you can do it safely, which is really important. 
and because you're you're using all this cognition on something you've never done before, then something in the middle of that your magazine goes dry, and you're like, oh, and the brain shuts down. Yeah, something has to give. You're still thinking about all this stuff going on as you're learning and developing new skills, and all of a sudden something else gets a wrench gets thrown into the mix, and something has to give. And a lot of times, what happens is people go, stop, freeze. While they address, they're like, oh, reload. I know how to deal with that. But now you're throwing that other thing into the mix. And so the walking part goes out the window. And and while you're on the range in a safe training environment, it's actually not a big deal. Oh, so you stopped and you reloaded and then you moved again. But in a gunfight, now you're a stationary target. And in the case of this officer, he pulled his gun out. He fired. Something went wrong. I suspect, again, I'm, I'm assuming this. But this is plausible, and so take from this and learn from it that something happened, and he stayed wherever he was, generally speaking, and made a very easy target for the bad guy. And if he didn't, that's fine. It's still something that you should be aware of, and that happens, and that you should be preparing yourself for. Now, how do you learn how to get off the X while you are still fighting? Implied gunfight. You get through training courses where you get those opportunities to learn how to do those things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't get those opportunities. Now, those opportunities are available. So find training courses. By the way, you can always find training courses at class.concealedcarry.com. And we'll have our Guardian Pistol curriculum this in the year 2020 taught at various different places and times. You'll have opportunities in those classes to learn some of those things. So get out and find those classes and take them. We'd love to see you. So um, what's your plan B? Have a plan B. Have a plan C, have a plan D. Uh, things go wrong and you should be always trying to think ahead. And also, here's the thing. You can't, you're not capable of mentally processing and thinking ahead while you're in that moment, but you will do things automatically because you put in all the preparation, all the time bef- ahead of time, learning how to do those things automatically, right? When you put someone through a training course and say, do this thing, Oh, by the way, keep moving because unless you have good cover, right? And why do you move a lot of times? You A lot of times, a good reason to move is to move to cover. And so you should be looking for those opportunities. And the more you are in a training environment learning how to do those things, the more that starts to become natural and just it happens. But you can't expect that you're going to go from an, an average Joe or Jane casually going to the range and getting practice once a week shooting a box of ammo to suddenly skilled you know gunfighter like it just doesn't happen that way you're going to do whatever you're used to doing and if your idea of training and practice is stand in my assigned position stationary and fire at a paper target guess what you're probably going to stand there and fire at a paper target well you what you envision is a paper target in this case a person Okay, guys, that's all I got. We were over time. I, actually, it's not all I got, but that's what we need to <laughs> we need to cut it off there. <laughs> I, I hope it was. I, I, you know, I know sometimes we joke around about like going off on tangents and stuff, but I think you guys really lead the conversation sometimes with your questions, and I hope it was beneficial. And a lot of the stuff I know is probably beating a dead horse, but maybe somebody didn't hear doesn't know or didn't hear and, and, and it'll help them. So, you know, hopefully we're helping you guys. Yep. It helps me too, to hear you guys comments too. 
So, yep, I agree. Guys, we we love you. We appreciate you. You know, great comments and questions. And I apologize. We weren't able to get to all the questions today. There was tons of questions that came in. And some of them had to skip over just because of time. Some had to skip over because they're not really relevant. Sorry. Uh, when, when we start getting into questions of specifics about guns and stuff like that, well, we're not talking about that today. So I apologize. But uh, some of you I tried to type answers to in the comments and I uh, did the best I could. Um of course, of course, if you ever want to just like if you if you had a question that you asked today and you didn't feel like we did it justice or you didn't feel like we answered it and we couldn't get to it and you'd like to get an answer, email it, your question to us at podcast at concealedcarry.com podcast at concealedcarry.com. Guys, like we monitor that that email inbox all the time, Matthew, me and Jacob. So if you have questions, just send them along. We'll do our best to get to them. Maybe we'll even put together another ultimate concealed carry beginner's guide episode. That'd be, would it be part five? I think now. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I might start a new, uh, series, if you will, and call it the, do you know, series. <laughs> I like it. I'm kind I like of serious about it. that. Yeah. I like the sound well, of it. I, I think it's, you know, questions are good. Questions I think are important. Questions should encourage us to cognate, <laughs> think, process and analyze. Uh, and that's what I was hoping that these questions would do. And I think for some people they did, and I think some kind of missed the point or ignored them. But I would just ask again, as we wrap up this episode, do you know, all right, do you know these things that I think are relevant and important to your ability to be ready and prepared in the event that you're called upon to use deadly force in defense? Or even non-deadly force. But we're, we kind of focus on that. <laughs> Using the gun part. Yeah. We are, after all, concealedcarry.com. Well, today's episode sponsors, ammosupplywarehouse.com. Please support them and give them some love and buy your next batch of ammo from them. And guys, I've, I saw Walmart has cleared out of ammo, pistol ammo. They, they, they are cleaned out. And I think it's a shame because, you know, Walmart used to be the, the go-to place, the backup place. You're like, shoot, I got this class this weekend or shoot, I've got to go to the range and do this or that thing. And shoot, I didn't think it, you know, far enough in advance and, you know, prepare and buy or make sure I had enough or whatever. Or I've even been in situations where we were headed to the range to film training videos for you guys. And we're on our way and realize, oh no. I forgot the ammo. <laughs> and it's like, hey, there's a Walmart on the way. Hey, we'll just run in there and buy 800 rounds of 9mm. You know, of course, it's obviously post. Uh, you know, there was that time you could only buy two boxes at a time. Well, right. a couple of years ago when things started getting plentiful again, they they lifted that. And since then, Walmart, Walmart has saved my bacon more than once yeah. uh, with situations where I needed ammo in a pinch. And you could go in at 6 a.m. You could go at 10 p.m. And you could find ammo. And there's not a lot of other places that have the hours and availability. <laughs> so it's a shame. But here's the deal. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com, pretty much getting all my business from here on out. And they ship very fast. So you place an order today. A lot, a lot of you will get it by like Tuesday of next week or Wednesday at the worst. And that's pretty dang impressive, and that's pretty dang fast. So you could be a Monday, and you're like, oh, I got a class this weekend. Oh, 
order it today. I've done that before and had ammo arrive on Thursday and I'm good to go. It's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty darn cool. So, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. Also, today's other episode sponsor, PigLube. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash PigLube is where you can find it. It's inexpensive, but it's fantastic, amazing, awesome firearm lubricant. Uses nano nanoparticle technology, whatever that means. It's just fancy, and it means actually it actually works. I'll tell you just that much. I don't know what it is, but it, it works. All my guns run PigLube. All my guns work great. And by the way, some of you were talking about, well, was the officer's gun not clean? That's possible. The mm-hmm. more important question is, was his gun lubricated? What's more important, cleaning or lubrication? I've dumped a lot of oil and kept guns running that were pretty, pretty, pretty filthy. I agree. <laughs> yep. Just some food for thought there. I'm of the opinion that lubrication is always more important than how clean that gun is. That's not to say don't clean your gun. That's just to say, don't forget about lubrication. Just yes. that's right. <laughs> and don't think, Oh, I'm going to the range today. Oh shoot. I didn't clean my gun beforehand. Well, so what? Dump some lube on it, go to the range, shoot the crap out of it, then clean it or don't clean it after like I have certain, certain guns. Don't judge me now. I have certain guns. Actually get this. I went through 2000 rounds in a three day course with Rob Latham and Mike Seeklander and didn't clean my gun the entire time. <laughs> wow. Like people's heads are like, no, don't do it. You got to clean. You got to clean it every now. now. But I didn't, I didn't have any failures except for the last day we were shooting some frangible ammo because we were shooting some steel targets at too close of distances. Uh, and so we had to shoot frangible. Frangible sometimes causes some issues because it's a lot lighter bullet and it just doesn't cycle the same. Okay. So I did have one or two problems with frangible ammo. Um, but everything else, flawless, 2,000 rounds, no cleaning. I lubricated it every night after I was done at the range. Came back to the hotel, lube, 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 put it back together. Let's go. Anyway, guys, we're going to let you go. Thanks so much. Rem- a reminder, we will not have any published uh, or live podcast episodes this next week. We hope that you, and the next week gets also sticky with New Year's. Uh, we'll try to keep you updated on that. Uh, but uh, but I will publish a couple of audio-only interviews that you're going to want to hear. So make sure you f- you're following us on whatever your favorite podcast app is, Concealed Carry Podcast, and you won't miss a beat with some more great content from us here at Concealed Carry Podcast. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.